In the middle of this transaction, of doing all this, you know, God is doing amazing things. God is opening doors. God is bringing people. We are about to uh, buy this other building. I noticed my daughter started suffering from depression, my youngest daughter. She was very close to me. And I would ask her, you know, like, what's wrong, baby? Why are you so sad? Sometimes I would find her crying. And she would be like, I don't know, Mom. I'm just, I just feel really sad. She left a note saying, I'm sorry for doing this. You are amazing parents, but I can't do this no more. Hey, if you are struggling with suicide, please don't do it alone. We have people that are ready to help you, to speak with you. Click the link in the description box below or in the comment section, fill out the form and somebody will contact you that is ready to walk you through this, to help you through this, okay? Enjoy this testimony, watch it all the way through. It'll bless you, it'll encourage you and make sure to share it with somebody so that others can also get help. Thank you guys for all the support and enjoy the new testimony. My name is Sidia and I was, um, I'm Salvadorian American. I was born in New York and I was raised in El Salvador. I live in Warner Robins, Georgia. Um, I'm married, I have one daughter and uh, my husband is a pastor right now. So we both minister in the state of Georgia in Warner Robins. Now, Xenia, could you tell me a little bit about your life before Jesus? Did you grow up in a Christian household? Did you know who God was? And what was that like for you? Um, like I mentioned, I was born in New York and my parents uh, met in New York City. When I was four years old, my parents moved back to El Salvador. That's where they're from. So I pretty much, my whole childhood, I live in El Salvador. When I was five, uh, one year after we moved to El Salvador, my mom left my father and moved back to United States. So she left my father with four girls. I was five, my oldest sister six, and three and two. I guess part of the reason she moved is because she was, um, the financial situation was bad. But that left my father, you know, with four girls and he became my mom and my father. Um, life in El Salvador was tough. We lived in the city for a few years, then we had to move to another uh, place. That was really rough because when we, we moved there, we didn't have anything there. Like my, my, my dad moved us and there was not a home, no electricity, no uh, running water. So I was about nine and that was a little shocking, you know, at my age. And I saw my dad struggling a lot financially. However, my dad, you know, he tried to put us through Christian school because he's, he was a Christian. So my whole childhood, I went to Christian schools. Um, my dad remarried and brought the lady, brought more kids to our family and they have more kids. So I became kind of like the nanny and housemaid of the house. So I, I had a lot of responsibilities. And for some reason, my father became, um, his mood changed, like he became very angry and he became very aggressive towards me and my older sister. There was a point that I was really afraid of my father. Like every time I see him, my heart will race because of, I didn't know what would trick him, tick him, you know, to get mad. Like there were a few times, you know, just to give you examples, um, he will drag me from my hair, you know, and will kick me, you know, with his feet. Um, he will slap me in my face. Um, sometimes he will punch me in my stomach and let my air out. 
Sometimes I couldn't breathe. And this became very frequently. So that kind of led me to start uh, suffering from depression. And it was weird because even though my dad was very aggressive, he was also very loving. And sometimes he will come and tell me, you know, I'm sorry for doing that. There were times where I could not get up the next morning because the way he had um, hit me. And even one time I remember he hit me in my face so bad that he let me a purple eye. And this kept going and going and going. Now, Xenia, what were you thinking when your dad was doing this to you? Did you feel like it was your fault or, you know, what were some of the thoughts that were going through younger you's mind? Yes, I started thinking that it was my fault, that some, I was doing something wrong. And to tell you the truth, now that I think about my childhood, I was a good kid. I was very, very obedient. And I didn't understand why my dad, you know, was acting like that. Because at that age, from, you know, when I was five to nine, my dad was everything for me. Like, he was my hero. And then seeing that change, you know, make me not want to be close to him anymore. So I started planning how to leave my house. At 13, I was already planning, I'm gonna move. And since I knew I was from United States, I, I would dream about coming here. One day my mom appeared out of nowhere and I begged my mom and told her, mom, please take me with you. I wanna move with you. Somehow she convinced my father and she did um, make the arrangements, you know, and my older sister and me uh, moved back to United States, to Atlanta. It was like a culture shock, you know, coming from a very small town, you know, very poor environment. Now I'm living in Atlanta. And I have gone to, like I mentioned, Christian school my whole life. And I became very involved in church stuff, I guess, when I was little. Um, because I forgot to mention, my first encounter with Jesus was when I was 11. I remember reading a book. My dad liked to read a lot, and he had like a bookshelf full of books. And I remember reading this book um, called The Life of Jesus. When I finished reading that book, I was in love with the Lord. I felt so much love with Jesus. I even asked him forgiveness, you know, for, for what he had to go through because of me at 11. Remember that since that time, I became involved, like in music, uh, teaching uh, children, involved with the youth. But once I came to United States, that started changing. I stopped my devotional life, like reading my Bible. My mom was not a religious person. She grew up Catholic, but she never attended church or, you know, she believed in God, but didn't live a godly life, I guess. So she didn't mind if we go to church or not. She tried what she could, but she didn't push us. So very soon I was hanging with the wrong people at school. We, I ended up going to a really bad school in Atlanta. Well, back then it was bad. And some of the people I started hanging out were gang members. Before, uh, in that period of time, I met this guy in school. This guy was about a year older than me. And he, was, he became my boyfriend and we started a relationship, but in my mind, you know, being so innocent, to me having a relationship was holding hands, maybe giving a kiss. But then I started noticing that he was thinking about more than that. And eventually he pushed so much and I felt like pushed to start having a sexual life with him. Because of that, I became pregnant. So my mom... Um, and Zina, how old were you at this time okay, that you got yeah, pregnant? So I was 16 years old when that happened. My mom 
noticed that I was pregnant. I didn't even knew I was. And she's like, you are pregnant and you need to go and take a test. So I did. When his family find out immediately, you know, they told me you need to have an abortion. Mm. I immediately knew I, wa- I didn't want to do that. You know, at 16, I was like, no, I can't do that. That's again against who I am. But they push it so much, his family side and other adults. I don't want to mention that I didn't feel like I have another way. And I have my responsibility, but at 16, it's hard, you know, to choose. So you kind, I kind of went with the flow and they took, like, I guess, the responsibility out of my shoulders. So I had the abortion. And later on, you know, that took a lot of consequences on my mental health, I guess. So, Xenia, talk to us about that. What was that like? You were 16 and you were kind of forced to have this abortion. What were the thoughts going through your mind? How did that um, affect you? So it was at that moment, you know, when I was maybe in that period of time, I didn't realize how much it was going to affect me. I guess it started affecting me as I got older. But at that time, I wasn't thinking about it too much. I knew I was really sad for what I did, so I became very rebellious. And like I said, I started hanging out with gang members and my mom couldn't control me. So she ended up putting me in juvenile and I stayed there for a few weeks. And when I got out of juvenile, I was so mad at my mom, like I didn't like my mom at all. And very soon I started another relationship. This was a gang member. And from that relationship, um, I got pregnant again. But before I got pregnant, my mom kicked me out. So of course, when I went to his house, I got pregnant. And I'm 17 now. So that relationship was really bad. Um, He was about my age. And of course, you know, we were smoking weed and I started drinking alcohol, smoking cigarettes. But knowing that I was pregnant, I wanted to take care of myself. I just didn't know how to do it. But I tried my best. But this guy, you know, he treated me so bad. Like he became very abusive with me. He will hit me too. And at nine months, he hit me one time, one last time, and he ended up in jail. I ended up having my baby, uh, my oldest daughter, who is 28 now. I became kind of like a single mom. I was homeless like for eight months. I don't remember exactly how I survived that. I don't remember how I buy diapers or... (sighs) It was tough, you know, being 17 and having a child was not easy. So I ended up living in different homes to the point that even I even ended up living in Mexico with him because he left there and I was just trying to find somebody, you know, to give me security. I lived in Mexico for three months. It was like a really bad experience there. And I came back to the United States and made peace with my mother. And my mother helped me out to recover, I guess, to get a job and find a, an apartment. <laughs> So I left that relationship and I ended up with another relationship, not giving me breaks. And this guy was a drug dealer. It was really uh, like uh, toxic. He will hit me all the time, abuse me verbally and physically, mentally. And because he sell drugs, he provided drugs all the time. So I started experimenting with different drugs. That was my lifestyle with this guy until I got so tired of his treatment, me living a wild life. And I started feeling the need of looking for God. And I remember my years, my childhood years, you know, growing up as a Christian. It was tough with him 
somehow God took him out of my life. He ended up in jail, prison. He went there for many years. And so we split the relationship. Finally, I was free. However, instead of me trying to look for Jesus, I was partying like crazy. I started partying and drinking heavily. So in the mid- my middle 20s, I realized I was like, uh, I had a problem with alcohol. I had a big problem with alcohol. I couldn't stop. And most of my friends were older than me, like 40s. I was in my 20s. And one day I felt like God told me, if you don't stop now, you're going to end up like that if you make it. And I didn't like how they look because they were slaves to alcohol. And I was like, I don't want to end up like them. So I started trying to change my life, but with my, on my own, without Jesus. And I would drop to church. I started going to church, you know, um, but it was like more like, oh, let me do something nice and good. And then at night I was partying. Going to church, I started taking my daughter, my, who was about eight maybe, about that time. And one time uh, I met this lady at church and she invited me to eat over her house. I accepted the invitation. When I was there, I saw this gentleman who was her son. We became friends, but nothing happened. And one day I go to this uh, huge concert. And when I'm in the concert, I see this guy who I met at this lady's house. And he's, bar- he's a bartender there. And I'm so bad at remembering names, but somehow I remember his name. And I was like, um, hey, uh, can you please give me a drink? I was just yelling, you know, like, hey, I need a drink. And he came and gave me a drink. I came back and gave me another drink. And we started hanging out after that. A few months passed and I was pregnant. I was shocked. I forgot to mention that when I was in this relationship with this gang member, after I had my oldest daughter, I became pregnant again, and I decided to have another abortion, and that was my decision. So now I'm having two abortions. And I remember having this abortion and asking God to forgive me, and I was so sad to do it, but I didn't, find, I didn't have another escape. And so when I got pregnant from this guy that I just met, the enemy put thoughts on my mind, oh, you can't have this baby. But I was like, no, I'm not having another abortion because one night I remember feeling really sad about my babies and I just started thinking about them. I was crying like crazy that night and I got asked Jesus to forgive me for what I have done. I wasn't even living a Christian life and I felt like God forgave me for that at that moment. And I promised him, I said, if I ever, ever become pregnant, I'm not doing this again. I became pregnant. My boyfriend now didn't want to have the baby. He kind of told me, you know, you, you, can, you have decisions and you know the enemy pushing. And I say, no, I'm not doing it. But I knew that I was gonna, it was going to be my responsibility. So I'm now like 28 years old. And I'm like, oh, man, I have a 10-year-old and now I'm going to have a baby. How am I going to do this? But I, I was like, I need to make it. I had the baby, and we started the relationship with my boyfriend now. And God started touching my heart. In a way, I can even tell you, it was so strong, so strong. Like, I felt like God was calling me, calling me, but I kept refusing. And the enemy had put a big lie in my head. And one of the lies was, you know what? You need to be ready before you come to Christ. 
wait until you live a better life, you start drinking, and then you can start living your life for Christ. And of course, I mean, I couldn't. I mean, trying to do it on my own, that's a, that was impossible for me to do. So one day, I remember I'm, I'm at work, and my mother-in-law invite me to some evangelistic series. So I mean, this I take my daughter, my oldest daughter, and when they make the call, you know, they start calling people, hey, who wants to accept Jesus? She gets up, and I get so mad at her, and I'm like, you're not giving your life to Jesus. And I sit her down, and the enemy was using me, of course. And I was like, no, I'm not taking this responsibility. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. And my mother-in-law, she stooped in her ground, and she told me, you have no right to tell this child when she wants to give her life to Jesus. If she wants to give her life to Jesus, that's not your choice. So she grabbed her hand, took it to the front. A few days after, she was giving her life to Jesus at 10 years old. Now, Xenia, what were you scared of? What did you not want? to happen that you were really trying to keep your daughter away from giving her life to Jesus? So when I was in the world, I'm not going to lie, I like living that lifestyle, even though it was miserable. There was nothing that the enemy was offering me. I have not had anything but suffering. And I was also an alcoholic. So I was also afraid of not committing my life completely to, to God. Like mm. I, f- I felt all the, like I was going to fail and I didn't want it to fail. After my daughter got baptized, she, her testimony was amazing because she started playing Christian music that I haven't heard in a long time. She would go to church early in the morning and sometimes I would go when it was over and she would be there at 9.30 a.m., you know, and she became very involved. So her testimony brought me closer to Jesus, the desire to follow Him more. I started going to another evangelistic series. In those evangelistic series, um, I remember hearing the pastor say something that I think it was what changed my life. He said, you've been running from God all this life. It's time for you to give your life. And you can't change it. You can't change your life. You have to give your life today. Today is the day. Come as you are. Don't worry, let God do the job. You can't do it. And that kind of stuck, you know, got in my head. And I was like, I talked to God. I didn't get up and went up front because I didn't want the enemy to see, the, to see it. So I just leave it in my mind. And I was like, you know what, Lord, I'm giving you my life. But it was a process. It took a long time from that day, you know, God, I kept drinking, failing, not coming to church, and it was a bottle. I remember one night coming from a club. I was really drunk, but I felt so miserable. And I got on my knees and I told God, um, I can't do it. I'm done. You need to help me. I, I lost purpose of life. You know, I didn't want it to leave. It was, it was miserable. And I told him, I give you permission. Do whatever you want. If you do it, I let you do it. I can't do it because I keep promising and I'm not changing anything. So the Lord, I felt, you know, like he was changing, but it was hard. It was hard. But one day that morning, I felt like the Holy Spirit was all over me. Like it was such a beautiful, I don't want to say emotion, but feeling, you know. I feel like God was telling me it's now or never. It's now or never. You have to take your decision today. 
And I was fighting with the Lord. I was like, I felt like there was a battle going on. And I was like, Lord, please help me. I, I, don't, I don't even know how to do this. And immediately I called my mother-in-law, who was a big help in, in my Christian walk. I said, I think I want to get baptized. And she was so happy. She's like, yay, you know, excited. And immediately she called a pastor. They're trying to make sure I get baptized. He doesn't want to baptize me because I'm leaving with my boyfriend and we're not married. And he tells me, you know what? You need to get married first and then I baptize you. And I was like, guess what? No, that's not going to happen. He's going to leave my house. You're going to baptize me and he's gone. And we get married when we get married. But he's not coming to my house again as, you know, as leaving as a relationship. The pastor somehow, we convince him and we make the arrangements. I tell my boyfriend, hey, I'm getting baptized. Like in, I think it was like in two days. He didn't really care. He was like, oh, okay. And because both of us were living a wild life. He's like, okay, that, that's fine. Um, but guess what? I have tickets for this concert. And I really like that artist. And I was like, oh. But I was like, nope, I can't go. And he's like, no, you need to come. And, I'm, and he was trying to convince me, convince me to go to that concert. Just go to the concert. You're going to get baptized the next day. And I was like, no, in my heart, I have already gave my life to Jesus. And it was just a step of baptism, you know. But I was like, I can't do that to Christ. And I also felt that me doing that, I was putting my life in danger. And I was like, I'm not doing it. I ended up getting baptized. Everything was beautiful. You know, since before getting baptized, I always felt a weird presence, this heavy presence always following me. I was always afraid. I was, I was, I w there was a point that I started, you know, being paranoid for everything, uh, having anxiety and that's severe depressions. And that night when I got baptized, I remember feeling so peaceful and I always, sleep with my light on because I was always afraid. And that night was the first night in many years that I turned off my light and I slept completely peaceful. I didn't see this right, but I felt like my whole bed was surrounded by angels. It was just beautiful. I started living, you know, trying to live my Christian life, trying to learn how to become a stronger Christian woman. But I, my house became a war, a battle place because my husband did not want it to follow anything. He, he didn't want anything to do with Christ. Josenia, clarify for us. You got married to the boyfriend that you had at the time, and what was oh, that? Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. Um, few weeks after I got baptized, we went to the court. We never had a wedding. We just say, hey, let's get married. Got married. We didn't even have money. <laughs> we have to borrow money to go to the court, but we did it, and it's been... Um, 17 since we got married. Well, you know, he wasn't happy. And I remember that um, I had a like a kind of argument with God. Like, this is not easy, God. You have to do something with this guy because I am ready to leave this relationship too. I'm not gonna put up with this. I'm trying to live my Christian life. And, you know, he was heavy on drinking, too, and smoking with and all that. And I'm trying to live la that lifestyle. And it was so hard because I'm an alcoholic and I'm trying to live that. And I can't stop. And I know I heard people say, you know, there's nothing wrong with drinking, blah, blah, blah. But that never brought me close to Christ. So I was like, I don't want nothing to do with this. Finally, 
I had this friend from church. People at church, everybody knew that our relationship was so messed up. He told me, have you think about praying for your husband? And I'm like, I've been praying for him. No, but if you want to see him safe, have you thought about doing a praying and fasting? And I was like, how do you do that? And he's like, there's different ways. Um, we can do like a meal fasting, just choose one day at a time, or you can either eat one time a day, and we're going to pray for your husband at 12, and during the day you're going to pray and pray and pray for your husband, for the Lord to touch his heart. And I like the idea. And you know, there's a verse, I don't even know how to say in English, but where it says that esta generación solo sale con... Ayuno y oración, like this generation all, all gets out only with fast and praying. So we started our fasting and praying. So basically, we will eat one time a day. At 12, we will pray for him. And I was into it, like praying and praying all day, bothering God with this prayer, like save my husband, save my husband for 40 days. We started like um, prayer meetings at home. So our church was doing different prayer meetings in different homes. And my house was chosen to do one too. But the whole point of doing this was to bring my husband so he can stay and listen to, you know, the, the sermons and we will sing and, you know, get together. And he never stay. I was so disappointed. And I remember it was one day at night. I think we were about to finish our meetings and I, Call my husband, because I didn't know where he was. And I hear in the background, he's like having a good time. You can hear the laugh, the drinking, and people having a good time. It's the Super Bowl. And I'm like, hey, do you want to come to our prayer meetings? And of course he said no. He's in the Super Bowl having fun, you know. I got so disappointed. And I remember hanging up the phone, and I just started crying and crying and crying. And I told God, this Fasting and praise not working. I'm sorry, Lord, but this is not working. This is it. I'm done with this guy. I'm over. I'm not doing this anymore. And it was almost at the end of my fasting. The next day, if I'm not wrong, he decided to stay to one of the meetings. And I'm like, why is he staying? I couldn't understand why he was staying in the meetings. He said that that morning he had an encounter with Jesus. Going through his job, he felt like Jesus talked to him very strongly through a song. And the battle became, you know, between him and Jesus. So he shared that testimony with us. I couldn't, I didn't believe him. I was like, no, he's just doing that because, so I can be happy, you know. But the next Sabbath, um, because we go to church on Saturdays and we call it Sabbath. Um, the next Saturday or Sabbath, I see him going to church with his Bible very early in the morning, and I'm thinking, what is he doing? You know, I don't even want to talk to him, but he's on fire. And since that day, he never stopped going to church. And I'm like, what? Is this real? And God kind of rebuked me and said, weren't you praying for this? Weren't you praying and fasting for this, for his conversion? There you go. Here it is. And I was like, oh, Lord, I can't believe you answered my prayer. You answered our prayer. And I was, you know, like overjoyed when I felt like God answered me, my prayer. A year after, he gets baptized. Wow. Yes, he gets baptized. And, and my husband was like, the enemy had him really well. But Jesus won the victory. 
a year after he got baptized, you know, we got very active. I was very active since I gave my life to Christ, again, with children, with youth in music. And he became also very active in homeless ministries and children's and with the youth. And in that period of time, we feel like God is calling us to go on to full-time ministry. And he's like, I think God is calling me to be a pastor. But in, um, in our denomination, you have to go to school to become a pastor. So we end up moving to another state so he can finish his school, his bachelor's in, I guess, pastoral ministry, something like that. That was an act of faith, too, because I already had a home. I had to sell everything. I lost my home, but I didn't care. I was in love with Jesus. I'm like, I give you everything. I don't care. So we just move. And we had to start over from scratch, you know, making minimum wage, both of us. I was also, I went back to school, but I went to a community college. So, you know, and trying to be a mom, he trying to be a father, it was tough. But God got us through that. Before he even graduated, he got called to serve in New Hampshire, Vermont area. So we all move over there. Now my oldest daughter is ready for, to go to college, and my youngest daughter, you know, she's around her seven, eight years old. And she's here with us, you know. Everything we do, she's with us, she's with us. Um, but we started praying that we want to come back to Georgia because we have our family here in Atlanta. And we were praying and praying, Lord, move, move open doors. Finally, he did. We got moved to Georgia, to a small town called Warner Robins. And when we go to the church, I remember pulling up there. There's only a few people. It seemed like the church was dying. And I got a little bit concerned because they didn't have many youth. It was like about three maybe. And I was concerned because of my daughter. I wanted her to, you know, have friends. And because we moved so much, you know, she struggled making friends. But by the grace of God, this, the church started growing growing and my husband has two churches but this is like the bigger church I guess and this the the church started growing is this is an English church we saw a couple of Hispanic families in the church they started coming to our home to worship so we started a group in our home a Hispanic group and then that's that group is starting growing and growing so COVID came and our church um is growing and my husband is doing three services every Saturday because of COVID. Uh, we are, God is keeping us so busy and people just dropping and dropping and saying, hey, I'm looking for a church and God has sent me here. And a lot of people started coming. And I was just like amazed, like, wow, God is doing things here in Warner Robins. This is amazing. Very soon the church was growing and my husband realized that we have to move to another building. He started looking for buildings, and the building, this building that we are now, he sees that is on sale. That's another story, and it's a long story, but however, God opened doors. Amen. In the middle of this transaction, of doing all this, you know, God is doing amazing things. God is opening doors. God is bringing people. We are about to uh, uh, buy this other building for a price that we didn't even didn't even have, but that God made a miracle. Um, so going back a little bit, uh, COVID time, I noticed my daughter started suffering from depression, my youngest daughter. And, um, you know, be, co coming from my generation 
and me myself suffering from depression, you kind of grew up thinking that you have to suck it up. You know, you figured it out yourself. And not that I expect that from my daughter. I just didn't know how to handle it. She was very close to me. And I would ask her, you know, like, what's wrong, baby? Why are you so sad? Sometimes I would find her crying. And she would be like, I don't know, Mom. I'm just, I just feel really sad. And I realized um, after COVID passed, you know, I saw her going down the hill. I realized that I had to stop working. So I, uh, last September 2022, I stopped working and I stayed at home. And I was, you know, trying to supervise that she's fine. I even find her a therapist. I didn't really like the therapist because she didn't give me like a, a feedback of what was going on. She never told me, hey, she needs medicine or she's, her life is in danger. Never heard of anything. And I didn't want to get into her private life too much. So I gave her space. Uh, one day she went to school and she would do homeschool like three days a week and two days a week she would go to Atlanta to study. And uh, it was January 17th this year, 23. She took her life. She, um, <laughs> The last time I saw her, she came home and she left a note saying, I'm sorry for doing this. You are amazing parents, but I can't do this no more. My anxiety is, I can't control it anymore. I just want to be with God. And I don't want to get into details of how it happened, but that day was very dark. I didn't feel the presence of God. I remember I felt like I was gonna go crazy and I don't wish this to any parent. I questioned God like, like what happened? What did we do wrong? And I started questioning, you know, like, cause in Hispanic, Hispanic culture, unfortunately, we are very close-minded related to suicide. And I grew up with that mindset, you know, you once you take your life, you're done. You have no salvation. But I think God was preparing me because a year before this happened, a friend of mine who is in ministry too, lost her son through suicide. He was in his 20s and I saw the struggle they went through. And I remember asking God, God, what happens here? How do you handle this? Is he safe? And one day going through YouTube, I found the channel De La Fe. And I remember seeing this video about this guy who is giving his testimony about he, how he tried to suicide and how he got saved him. I mean, the way he explained it opened my mind to know that God is bigger than my box that I put him. And God talked to me, and I was over, 
rejoice and I was like, thank you, Jesus, because I felt like he gave me the answer about him. You know, all I need to know is that he's love and the rest is in his hands. Like, don't worry about it. So that happened eight months before my daughter took her life. In my mind, I had no doubt that Jesus had intervened and that she's safe. I have no doubt. But you know, the enemy will put thoughts in my head, you know, all the time, like, what if you're not gonna see her again? But God amazingly has talked to me in a way now that you have no idea. Like God has come too close, so close, that it sometimes can even feel scary. The way he talks to me now is like, when he says in the Bible, you know, just seek me with all your heart, it's so true. And he, when I open my Bible, time after time after time, he's telling me, Senia, don't worry, I got you. And one day I was praying, I was asking me, Lord, where were you when my daughter, when this happened? Where were you? Why you didn't stop this? And he brought my, man, my mind to the cross. He told me, Sinia, I was there the same way I was with my son. And you know, Jesus, when he was in the cross, he said, Father, Father, why you have forsaken me? And you know, the Bible said that the enemy was there. Evil angels were there, but that doesn't mean that, G that God wasn't there. And that's exactly how I felt. I felt like the presence of the enemy that dark day, but Jesus has revealed to me, I was there. I was there in the same way I fought Moses' body. I'm, 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 I'm gonna fight your daughter, so don't worry about it. She's safe and don't worry about what other people think. So that has given me a lot of peace. You know, it's gonna be five months in two more days. And when the enemy brings that to me, I just need to go back to the cross and just think about the Christian walk is not always beautiful. It's hard, it's tough, especially when you wanna live for him, for real. It's not always gonna be perfect. And you have to live by faith. That's where faith comes, you know. And if you think about the disciples, John the Baptist, you know, how their life ended, it wasn't pretty. So I'll, if I serve God, I don't, I'm not expecting anything better. Xenia, can you walk me through a little bit more of your process? There are other parents out there who may be going through the same situations as you, and they don't know how to lean on Jesus. Can you kind of walk us through how you learned to lean on him during this time? Yes. I remember that night, my husband was going crazy. I felt like he was also taking his life. That's exactly how I felt. And somehow God gave me a strength. And I told my husband, you and me are gonna hold on to God with everything we can. I am learning to depend completely on God right now. I have to be on my knees more often and I have to read the Bible every day. Like this is not I, I feel like um, at this point of my life, I'm in a survival mode. So my life completely depends on him right now. So how do I find a strength? Only through his word and, and on my knees. There's no other way. And you know, the first three months, it was hell. It was hell. May, because there was a lot of celebrations in May, like my baptism, my birthday, my 17-year anniversary, and it was gonna be my 
daughter's uh, high school graduation. So May was very dark. I was in a hole, in a hole, but I kept holding on to Jesus. I even just lost the desire of living. I would pray and say, Lord, just take me. Just take me with you. But God told me, not yet. I have a purpose. So I'm trying to find my new purpose. You know, I'm in that process right now to find my new purpose. One thing I know is that I love Jesus and I have learned to love him more. You know, maybe the enemy wanted me not to be, to think that this came from God. Oh, no, it didn't. I know who is behind this. But I thank Jesus, you know, that everything that the enemy meant for bad, Jesus meant it for good. I'm just holding on to him. I, there's no other way. I, I don't have another place to go. I mean, I have friends telling me, why are you so calm? Why are you still believing in Jesus? I have people tell me that. And I'm like, where else do you want me to go? There's nothing out there. I already been there and there's nothing. I don't want to go there. There's nothing there. So wh why do I go there? I'm staying in here. And you know, like Job, you know, said that God give, God gives and he can take away. So his name be glorified. Senia, do you have any words of encouragement for family members, for mothers, fathers, siblings that have lost um, somebody to suicide? And do you have anything that you could say to them? Don't lose hope. Don't lose hope. God is bigger than what we think. Sometimes, like I said, we want to put God on the box. But I promise you, everything that God lets happen is for a reason. As long as you put your eyes in Jesus, you know, you can find hope. Sometimes we live in a culture where we don't think that we need therapy. But I encourage anyone who's going through this, nothing wrong with that. You know, after me going through this situation, I have to take therapy. And I'm not ashamed of that, you know, because in the Christian world, sometimes that's like a I don't know, like a taboo, like don't do it, or, or it means that you're not close to Jesus, and that's not true. My daughter loved Jesus. That Saturday, we had baptisms at church, and she would lead music, so that day was her uh, time to lead music. She played so many instruments. She played the guitar, she played the ukulele, the piano, the violin. I remember seeing her you know, she was leading the music, and I felt like this joy that I was like, oh, I'm so happy to see her, you know, serving God. Because I know she was struggling, but still she was pushing, you know, herself to do the right thing. Not that that's going to save her, but the relationship with Christ is, you know. I, when she was going through this process, I told her, Valeria, that was her name, I, I don't know how to help you. But I would tell her, I'm praying for you. And I told her, hey, I have a book. It's called Steps to Christ. And I say, if you, if you want to read it, I, I hope it can help you. <laughs> she finished reading that book. And I remember a few weeks before this happened, she came to my room and she said, Mommy, I feel like I'm getting close to God. And she came two times and told me that, Mommy, I'm getting close to God. And I was like so happy and excited to hear that from my daughter. And when I thought, that she was feeling better, you know, this happens. You know, at 17, it's hard. I read that when you go through 
depression, you know, the pain is so deep. It's like when you're grieving. And grieving pain is horrible. So I cannot imagine my baby, you know, going through that. I don't blame her. I don't blame her. Life is hard. Life is hard, you know. Xenia, what would you say to those people that are struggling with these depression and suicidal thoughts, especially the young people? We know in this generation, there are so many people that are struggling, not knowing that they have a purpose for their lives, not knowing that Jesus loves them, and they don't see any other option. Do you have any advice for those people that may be watching? There's always hope. Sometimes we feel like there's nothing else. Just know that you have family that loves you, even if you don't feel it. You have parents that love you. you. And if you don't, you have Jesus that loves you. And you, Jesus is, sometimes it's, it comes like a cliche, you know, like, oh, Jesus, Jesus. But literally, I mean, for real, sometimes that's the, on, the only thing that we need. I'm not saying, you know, that just because you follow Jesus, oh, everything is going to be colorful and beautiful. If you need help, look for help. Don't feel afraid. Don't feel afraid to ask a friend. Talk it out. I think sometimes what the enemy does doesn't want us to talk about it. And we just close our minds and, and don't want to talk about it. But I realized that the more you talk about it with somebody, you let it out, it helps. So talk with somebody. Look for somebody that can help you. And if you think that, that you're hanging around the negative people, just leave those negative um, friends. If you ask me who's the answer, Jesus is the answer to everything. I mean, Zinia, who is Jesus to you? Jesus is everything for me. Um, I tell Jesus, you're the best thing that has happened in my life. Jesus is my Savior. He's my, he's my Lord. He's my King. He's my Redeemer. He's also my judge. And that's amazing because knowing that He judged me, you know, I don't have to worry about anything. And He's also my lawyer because the Bible talks about it as him, as a, our lawyer. I have no words to describe Jesus. To me, he's the best thing. I mean, like, I don't have the words to say who Jesus is to me. He's everything. He's my best friend. He's my brother, and I love him. Zinia, do you have any last words for the people that may be watching? I don't know what you're going through right now. Whatever you're going through, just know that there's hope. Jesus is coming soon, and He's putting an end to all this pain. He just wants us to be ready. And if you're watching this, He's calling you. Don't wait to last minute to give your life to Him. He loves you. No matter who you are, what you are, let Him change you, and He will do the process. Don't worry about it. Hang in there. And I pray that whoever watches this, you know, can find Jesus the way I found him. Zinia, we would love it if you could just pray for the people that are watching your testimony and maybe connecting to certain parts of it. Okay. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, here I am, Lord. Here we are, Lord, being used by you. Only you, Lord, only you, Lord, deserve the glory. Father, through this testimony, Please reach whoever needs to listen to this, Lord. Father, without you, we're nothing. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Work, keep working miracles, Lord. I know that you want to come soon and you're just preparing your people. Lord, help us be ready for that beautiful day. Bless, Lord, 
de la Fe Testimonies Group all or save them, keep them safe with your angels, surround them with your love and don't let nothing happen to them, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father, for giving us this opportunity and I hope we can reach whoever needs to listen to this, even if it's one person, Lord, even if it's only one person, Lord. Do your job, Father. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.